Welcome to the Scary Serengeti. We're your host, David Swinniger and Matthew Keener. Stop what you're doing and subscribe to our podcast and leave us an awesome five-star review and follow us at Serengeti Sec on Twitter. We're here to talk about cybersecurity and technology news headlines and hopefully provide some insight, analysis, and practical applications that you can take into the office to help you protect your organization. And as usual, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are hours and hours alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of our employers. However, I, for one, welcome our new AI drone overlords. Yeah, I can't wait to start working in the silicon mines. All right. First article. So Microsoft seizes infrastructure of top cybercrime group. Uh, and this comes to us from Cyberscoop. We haven't had an article from them before, have we? Um, I don't recognize it. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. You know, if our security Serengeti oh, chat GPT was working, we could act. <laughs> I'll, I'll start uploading the stupid transcripts. One at a time. So apparently our <laughs> thing our thing will allow us to generate 10 transcripts per month. So I was kicking off transcripts for the first 10. And then I've got, since I started using Descript Edit, I do have a bunch of older transcripts that I can copy in there. So okay. probably just a couple hours worth to add all the transcripts. Although I will say, uh, one of the early transcripts did transcribe your last name as a slur. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> really, really hoping. Awesome. My name is a slur? <laughs> It transcribed it as one. I, I can actually get behind that. <laughs> You're such a swing digger. <laughs> I mean, uh, Keener, Keener is a actual, it's a like a brown noser in Canada. Oh, nice. Yeah, your Keener is actually a, is actually an insult. I'm That's sorry. Amazing. So what was the book you were talking about, though? It's amazing how accurate that is then. <laughs> what was the book? What was the book? This Perfect Day. This Perfect Day. Fire 11? Yeah, that's it. All right, I'm going to take a look at that. Came out 13 years ago. So you know what? You know what, though? What we just did? Uh, we were talking before about having an AI for podcasts. Like that would be something where when you hear, like whenever a podcast makes a recommendation of some sort, I'm usually driving or something. I don't have the ability. Someone talks about mm. some book they read that's so mm -hmm. good or something. I would love to be able to have an AI bot for that podcast that I could ask after the fact, what was the book recommended in episode 201? Or what are, can you provide a list of all the books that have been recommended in this podcast? Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that because actually on the Art of Manual list, there was an interview with Max Brooks where, Brooks where he mm. mentioned a book and I was like, oh, I got to remember to look this book up. And you never do. And I never did. So yeah. I needed to make a note yep. to go back and... Uh, look up that book. If only there was a art of manliness AI where you could ask it, what book did Max Brooks recommend? Actually, hold on. Let's ask what book did Max Brooks recommend on art of manliness? This is such great radio. It it does bring you to episode 936 of the art of manliness, which is the one with, with Max Brooks, but it doesn't tell you uh, what book. So, but that is something that AI would be really good at, or I'm sorry, large language models would be really good at. Mm -hmm. So there's a transcript here. So maybe if you could remember a word around, or you could just read through the transcript. Yeah, I'll have to look at that when we're done here. Oh, you know what? Hold on. Hold on. I got ChatGPT4. It's your 20 bucks at work. <laughs> so I'm going to give it the link to the following. It says... And the following transcript, and I gave it the link, and then I said, what book does Max Brooks recommend? Oh, no. 
Oh, there we go. All right. It started off with saying searching with Bang. And I was like, no, don't search with Bang. <laughs> is it is it in a far country by Jack London? I think so. It's been interesting. It's been several weeks, but I don't interesting. So I don't remember exactly. Uh I'd have to go back and actually listen to that recommendation yeah. in context to see if that's what it was. I, I would be interested to hear back if that's correct though. Cause again, like this is this 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 thing drives me nuts. There's always podcasts I listen to and they always make recommendations about stuff. And I'm always in the car or I'm always like taking a walk or something. And if I'm taking a walk, I can take out my phone and I can add it to my wish list on mm-hmm. Amazon. But if I'm driving. Yeah, I think that's probably it. Uh, because um, Brett McKay, who's the host of that uh, yeah. podcast, is a big Jack London fan. So that is probably it. Good times. All right. Let's continue actually on the subject of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what are we here to talk about again? AI, apparently. We we were gonna be uh we were gonna be a crypto podcast and then crypto dissolved, and now it's AI until the AI dissolves. You mean until they become our overlords and they become our that. overlords and then yeah, and then we're not allowed to comment about AI. <laughs> All right. So Microsoft obtained a court order from the Southern District of New York allowing it to seize the US-based infrastructure of websites used by a group the company tracks as Storm 1152. A very inventive name. Yeah. Which is funny because there's 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 another article we'll be talking about later, which has another storm and then a a number after it. It's like everything's a storm, and then you get your number and, you know, move on. Could I be Storm 13? Well, maybe you can petition Microsoft to get your own Storm designation. Yeah. Want Storm 69, 69. Storm for 2069. Yep. What was that? Was that there's that joke that like if somebody's name ends in 70, you know they're 53 years old, but if their name ends in 69, you know they're 17. Anyway, so this Storm 1152 group created about 750 million fraudulent Microsoft accounts and on and and various websites. So these accounts were then used in email-based attacks for, you know, the typical phishing, spam, BEC fraud, etc. And Microsoft described the group as the number one seller and creator of fraudulent Microsoft accounts. Ooh, number left one out in the world. Yeah, number one. Way to go. <laughs> but that's not all they do because they also offer services that could bypass CAPTCHA puzzles. Hmm. How do I subscribe? I hate that CAPTCHA stuff. Well, you could have used one of these three domains that, or websites that they had before Microsoft seized them. Damn it. So the court order was for mailbox.me, which is where they sold the fraudulent Outlook accounts. And then there was first CAPTCHA, any CAPTCHA, none CAPTCHA, uh, which provided CAPTCHA solve services and tools to bypass CAPTCHA. So I guess they, they also had some kind of software package that they could sell you that also did the bypass yeah. for you, I guess. I hate CAPTCHA so much. Some of it's not bad, but like some of it is so obfuscated that I just get it wrong over and over again. Well, I was saying it's gotten better though, because that used to be really bad for me. Like, Really? Uh, That's not an N? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, is this uppercase or is this like a big or a little O? Like, I can't tell because they're all different sizes. Yeah. I think I told Uh, you about that one capture that I got from Google where it said, click all the parking meters and one was a mailbox. And it wouldn't. Oh, yeah. It forced me to click the mailbox before it would let me go to the next thing. No, I'm with you. Before it was done. Those are the worst. I've definitely seen multiple ones of those where I'm like, I clicked all of the and it doesn't work and it doesn't. Yeah. Well, obviously you're not human. 
Apparently not. I've been accused of that before, but <laughs> just because I have no emotions. <laughs> but on these sites, also they had, or some of the other things that they, they Microsoft was allowed to seize, be seized. Well, Microsoft was allowed to seize were also <laughs> social media sites that marketed the these services on, you know, Hotmail and the capture sites. Now, in the in the blog post from Microsoft, they said that there were also v individuals based in Vietnam that helped develop and maintain the websites, produce step-by-step -step videos explaining how they're how to use their products and exploit Microsoft's accounts. These are entrepreneurs. And, they shut down entrepreneurs. Yep, in another country, no less. <laughs> Minorities. <laughs> not not in <laughs> Vietnam. I don't think the Vietnamese are minorities in Vietnam. I have to leave that out too. God damn it. <laughs> you're, and you're complaining about me being uh, horrible. <laughs> I didn't say you were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. That's the way I took it. And I'm all broke up about it. Uh, and they also offered uh, chat services to their customers. I guess that's a quote unquote in there. And I, I'm not sure it because they specifically called out Vietnam and they didn't mention any arrests in America or anything like that. I'm wondering if it was actually the Vietnamese were running these sites but had them registered in the United States. But that seems kind of weird because the United States has uh, some of the harshest cybercrime laws in the world. So if you're a foreigner in another what? country, in why would you post freedom? anything in the United States? It doesn't make sense. I would agree with that. Sorry. I made a terrible joke about the land of freedom and having the worst or most punitive cybercrime laws. Well, we have the most punitive of all laws. I mean, we have 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the prison population. Yeah. Yep. That's phone family number one. And we got to do that. Land of the free. So Microsoft said they used threat intelligence from Arcos Labs, which is a bot, what they call bot management vendor, uh, which really is bot prevention, really. Mm. Kind of like pest Microsoft, management is also for pest prevention. Right. Yeah. Management means getting rid of it, I guess. So wait a second. Well, I suppose that that, <laughs> that makes sense though. Because if you look at, are you, if you read Dune, I think it might be in the movie too, where they huh. say, if you can control a thing, if you can destroy a thing, you control a thing. Yeah. So I guess that's what they're talking about by management. You know, if you can, can destroy it, you can manage it. <laughs> Seems appropriate. But Microsoft has also submitted a criminal referral to U.S. law enforcement. And to quote Microsoft, Storm 1152's activities not only violates Microsoft's terms of service by selling fraudulent accounts, but it also purposefully seeks to harm the customers or Arcos Labs. And it's, and it's funny because that doesn't actually specify illegality in that statement hmm. to reinforce the referral to U.S. law enforcement. But Microsoft also said that Scattered Spider, which was the group who hacked MGM in September, had used the services of Storm 1150 uh, to predicate that attack. For which part? To do the spamming? Or that... I assume so. The, the, it, I didn't look. I didn't go back and relook at the MGM attack. Yeah, no worries. Um, but I assume that they got the accounts, which maybe is where they started the fish from or something. I don't remember. Because uh, they didn't really get it. They didn't provide any details outside of that. Gotcha. But Microsoft said they had worked closely with Arcos Labs to deploy a next-gen capture defense solution. So it sounds like I get the, well, I get the impression from the article then 
was that maybe Arcos Labs came to Microsoft and they're actually the ones that had all the information said, hey, look what we found. Maybe you should hire us to do bot management for you. And that's maybe how this whole thing even started. Hmm. But the one of the reasons that I want to talk about this is, well, there's there's a couple of reasons. The, the first one being that bot bots for fraudulent account creation at, at, at scale is a huge problem, especially for financial institutions where they have bots attempting to create accounts within their financial services platforms and then do nefarious things with credit and other loan type activities. So bot, you know, doing bot account creation at scale is, is a huge issue that everybody should be aware of. The other thing is, I understand that the government is incompetent, but <laughs> should Microsoft have really done this versus turning over what they had to the, to the cops and have the cops do the, the, the seizing? I mean, do we want private organizations going directly to the courts to enforce their terms of service? And can any company really do this? Or is this just Microsoft could do it because they're Microsoft? I think that is the correct answer. <laughs> Microsoft could do this because it's Microsoft. Because companies already today work with internet infrastructure organizations that take down lookalike domains that are used for credential theft and, and things of that nature. So I'm just I'm just thinking that you know this is one of those things where it bleeds over into private sector doing what what is essentially a law enforcement, you know, government role. And is this something that everybody can do? Or is this something that's limited just because they're special, you know, which leads down the path of, you know, this is a right for them, but not for you. But as far as what you can do about it is the bot management piece is what you should take away from this. Because if you have an internet facing website that allows uh, users to create accounts, I think you should take a look at your account creation logs and see if you're actually getting hit by a lot of bots creating or being hit by any bots attempting to create accounts on your site. And if your organization allows this and is one that could be used for fraud, which I think most of them probably can, you might want to look into a bot mitigation solution. I mean, Arcos Labs, for instance. But there's several out there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Arcos Labs is 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 the one you should go with, but that might be something you want to look at depending on the return on investment for doing that mitigation. Yeah. All right. Good times. Uh, I would say that maybe this will lead to less. Nope. Nope. It won't. All right. Burn our second <laughs> article today. <laughs> AI controlled killer drones become reality. Yay. Yeah. So excited. I don't know. What was the name of that? book that we read they talk about freedom? Uh, why can't i remember daniel suarez kill decision oh yeah 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 yeah. where he hypothesized about these these killer drones so apparently it's becoming a thing countries are currently debating putting limits on what they are calling lethal autonomous weapons in the un the us and china are telling them no we are not going to put limits on lethal autonomous weapons which strongly implies to me that they both either have these or are very soon expecting these to exist. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter. The UN is a paper target. They get they have no enforcement. As has been said before, the the whole planet is in a state of anarchy between the nations. You know, there is no world government to say, "Hey, you can't do this. You can do this." Even if they there was some agreement at the UN, no one's going to follow that. 
This has been exacerbated by the recent use of human-controlled drones in the Ukraine, the Middle East, and the Azerbaijan versus Armenia conflict. I recently read Seven Seconds to Die, which is a military analysis of drone use and the war between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Azerbaijan used drones, specifically Turkey and Iran, built drones to target and wipe out Armenia's emplaced positions and their anti-aircraft and artillery vehicles. Super short summary of that. Armenia was expecting Azerbaijan to come up into these mountainous passes and then just get totally destroyed by the fortifications and emplacements they had. And Azerbaijan was like, why would we do that? And instead use drones to destroy them. So do you think that that the acceleration in drone technology may have actually finally gotten to the point where they were able to, to Azerbaijan was actually able to th- kick out the Armenians in that? I can't, is, I can't even pronounce that area, so I don't know. No, no, no. I'm trying to think about the term for an isolated part of a country um, that's separate from the main country. There's a term for it. It's eluding me at the moment. Oh, I don't know. Because there was just a, a thing where Russia has an enclave that the Lithuanian oh, yeah, were yeah. preventing the Russians from running a, a train to yeah. their their piece of land there. But I wonder if, you know, they could, because this has been like this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if just the, because they have drones today, that allowed them to actually be able to toss those people out, uh, whereas they didn't have the capability to do that before, but this allowed them to do it. That's what yeah, I'm trying to I don't know. If I recall correctly, it's been probably six months since I read this, so I may be recalling it. At, you know what? Never mind. I'm not even going to try and remember it wrong, so never mind. But the title came from, supposedly, if you heard the whine of the drone, you had approximately seven seconds to find cover. It's a super interesting book, and I'm sure they're going to be writing one very similarly about Ukraine, because in Ukraine, they're continuing to evolve that. In Ukraine, they've been using commercial drones. I recently read an article from a journalist that was there, and they're using, uh, what are those really popular ones in the US that photographers use? They're apparently using those, and they're like 3D printing bomb holders, so they can like tip the drone, and it'll drop the bomb. That's Uh, handy. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, humans are so slow, like humans controlling drones, so slow. We need to make them kill faster. And the U.S. is leaning in on this. Quote, Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks announced this summer that the U.S. military would field attritable autonomous systems at scale in multiple thousands in the coming two years, saying that the push to compete with China's own investment in advanced weapons necessitated that the United States leverage platforms that are small, smart, cheap, and many. So that's interesting because, frankly, our philosophy over the last 20 or 30 or more years has more been big, expensive platforms, super expensive fighter jets, really expensive big tanks and gigantic uh, aircraft carriers that house thousands and thousands of sailors and cost billions of dollars. Yeah, she must be new. (laughs) The U.S.'s drone is actually like an (laughs) F-35 with like a robotic arm like (laughs) manipulating the stick. Well, I, it may it may not be that, but you know, it's kind of like the things you can have it fast, fast, good, and cheap, right? Yeah, or pick two. Yeah, right. So yeah. cheap is out the door. <laughs> so it, it's never going to be cheap. <laughs> it's never going to be cheap. I mean, think maybe it'll defense be contractors and... would not go for cheap. No way. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually curious whether you think that autonomous drones are that much more of a stretch than loitering anti radiation missiles. So. 
if you there's certain anti-radiation missiles, which target radars that you fire and they just kind of hang out until somebody turns a radar on, then they go for it. Or landmines, you can mention landmines in the article. You can distribute landmines and they'll kill people decades afterwards. Yeah. I mean, we're still killing Cambodians, Laotians, and Vietnamese yeah. today. Yeah. 50 years later. So I've definitely read fiction books over the last 20 or 30 years have been talking about autonomous missiles and micro-munitions for years. And honestly, I don't know if any of those are real or fictional. I don't pay enough attention to military strategy to actually know. I've been envisioning it for quite a while. I mean, that's the whole reason we even have DARPA. You know, it's yeah. not to give us stuff like the internet. It's, you know, the, the whole just research agency is designed to to find stuff to help us kill faster, better. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you think it's moral to use autonomous weapons? And I don't think it it's moral to use weapons. So <laughs> war is immoral. So I don't think it, I don't think whether you've got a human pull the trigger or an AI pull the trigger, I don't think it matters. Come on. Uh, what are you talking about? Killing the cream of a crop of another country is not moral. Taking their best and brightest and putting them through a meat grinder. No, it's not. Matter of fact, I was just listening to an interview who someone they were talking about Tolkien and how Tolkien almost got killed in the First World War. I was like, mm -hmm. how much, you know, worse would we be without uh, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings because he got killed in some trench, you know, fighting the Germans. You know, and he had a lot of friends as part of a writing group that didn't come back from that war. So who knows how much we lost in that war just by those guys dying. So I was trying to be funny, and then you go out here and get all serious. Well, I think about it too much, I guess. That's fair. Do you think this will make the use of lethal force and small small conflicts more common or less common? Oh, more common. Absolutely. It's the whole idea of the, the law of supply and demand, right? Mm -hmm. So if you reduce the cost of something, the demand is going to increase. And they say that war costs in blood and treasure. So if you reduce the cost of those, you're going to get war, more war, period. Yeah. And if you just look at the scale of wars that have taken place since the U.S. left the gold, since the world left the gold standard, really, because anybody can print as much money as they need to wage their, wage their wars, the scale has gone off the charts since that happened, you know, at the at the beginning of the last century. Yikes! Do you think it'll make more or fewer mistakes than an eighteen-year-old fresh off the draft? That's <laughs> hard to say. Yeah, this is this is almost like the talk about AI driving. Sure, it has accidents sometimes, but it's still probably safer than your average driver. What really depends on the programming, though, because you could program it to do horrible things, right? For instance, right now, they do what they call signature strikes, which is based on your cell phone activity. They may decide to kill you, mm. right? Your cell phone talked to that cell phone, which talked to that cell phone. They say, oh, yeah. well, this is probably a bad guy. So we're going to kill you based on that decision. So if those decisions are not sound, it doesn't matter if an AI or a human make those decisions. The reasoning behind the execution is bad, right? Yeah. So I don't think it's I don't think it makes a difference really. I think you're probably going to get an equal amount of horribleness that takes place. Because the thing is, when they talk about AI, these AI killing machines, you're still talking about bombs, right? So yeah. it's it's not going. It's not a precise weapon. It's not, you know, so we're not talking about flying snipers. They're going to see yes. one bad guy and shoot one bad guy. They're saying when they're going to drop a bomb, it's going to kill more than one person every time. So even if they were only trying to kill one person, they're going to kill many. And I think bombing itself is immoral. I don't disagree, but all right. So while we are discussing weapons and we're going to move on from the sad and depressing part of this podcast. <laughs> Why are you uh, talking to me then? 
Maybe they go. <laughs> and there's an absolute difference between something that kills someone and something that doesn't. The same discussion is actually going to occur for just about everything. For example, AI agents don't really exist yet, but at some point in the near future, you're going to have an AI agent who you're going to be able to tell it the things that you like, and then it will be able to perform actions automatically based on those things you tell it. <laughs> Example, do you want your AI agent to order the food in a restaurant when you walk into the restaurant based on the stuff that you have liked in the past? That actually might be kind of convenient. Maybe that's a bad example because that's actually useful and convenient. Well, I think that the thing is, is that what's the downside risk of the AI making a mistake? You know, we're talking about killing weapons. It's a high downside risk if they make, if they do wrong, you know, if they order something that's got peanut oil on it, you've got a severe <laughs> reaction. Yeah, That's yeah. also something that's terribly wrong. But, you know, if they order a Cobb salad when you want a Caesar, you know, not really that bad of a downside there. Unless it kills the cook at the end of it. <laughs> Another one I was thinking of that might be kind of cool is having AI automatically buy the clothes that you'll like, you know, give it a budget, tell it, I want to spend a hundred dollars a month on clothing. Tell it what clothes you have, what clothes and brands you like. It keeps track and replaces them as necessary. Tell it something like, I want to maintain three weeks worth of socks at all points in time. When you throw out a pair of socks because it got as a hole, it'll just bring in another pair. I want to have, you know, five pairs of jeans. And whenever one of them it goes, like, bring me the next one. Yeah, my AI would die of boredom. <laughs> this might keep me from spending too much money on clothing. Yeah, for uh, certain people, that would be uh, beneficial. Yeah. And other people would hate it too. People that like shopping would be like, no, I want to go out and pick my individual stuff. Whereas once you like figure out exactly what you want and you're just like, I just want this for the rest of my life. Yep. Yeah. I'm kind uh, of along the lines of, and what was it? Uh, I think it was Einstein's supposedly wear the same clothes all the time or the character from the fly. Mm -hmm. You know, not a lot of variation in the clothes that I, that I, that I Mark own. Zuckerberg? And I wear stuff till it wears out literally, <laughs> you know, it. which is not too often. That's fair. Well, uh, you know, when you go around not wearing clothes most of the time. <laughs> Are you peeping in my windows again? <laughs> I told you to stop doing uh, that. So I thought about this for security, and honestly, most of this sounded really good. Like automated patching, automatic containment, automated password reset. Some places are already doing that. I'm not sure. I guess AI could add more context and maybe more, uh, more specificity to doing those things, more complexity, like a more complex decision based on more factors. But honestly, all those kind of sounded kind of good. Well, I think we talked about this before, how AI could probably really replace your threat intel team. Because if you had an AI agent <laughs> and just said, yeah. hey, these are the things I'm concerned about and just had it monitor the web, say, hey, when something like, it's almost like the, was it the Google News alerts? I don't know if uh -huh. you can still do that anymore. But that kind of thing. I have one on for, myself. You don't have all to the do time. specific words. You just say, hey, this is what we're, yeah. we're concerned about and it'll figure that out. Yeah, I still have a Google News alert on my own name. It goes off all the time. A lot of brown there's, nosers out there. <laughs> there's a Matthew Keener that's actually really popular. That's a lot of stuff out there, <laughs> but it's not me. Well, you should go and take over his life. You'll be popular. <laughs> yeah. There was a side note. Did you put this or did I put this? I think you put this in here. Yeah, there was a mention <laughs> in the article about it. And there's a quote. Officials from China and the United States discussed a related issue. Potential <laughs> limits on the use of AI in decisions about deploying nuclear weapons. That is terrifying. <laughs> I mean, have these guys not seen the, the movie War Games or Colossus the Forbin Project? This, this, that does not end well, period.
I guess the question is, are they going to allow the, when they say decisions, does that mean recommendations or does that mean actually has its finger on the button? That's a good question. I don't know. But considering who we have in our government, I, I think <laughs> this might actually be a benefit though, now that I think about it. Because um, <laughs> they're idiots. Actually, even recommendations might be bad. I, I'm sure you've seen the talk about AI as a super persuader. Uh, oh yeah. So, so it's like the AI Milgram experiment. Please proceed. <laughs> so why does this matter? Well, we're about to turn over a lot of decisions to AI in the next few years. And weapons is probably the one with the most consequences and moral complexity, but we're about to do it in a lot of places in our lives. And we need to start thinking about these limits and how AIs make decisions and how much veto power we as humans want to have over what the AI does. So to keep you from getting that Cobb salad when you really wanted a Caesar. <laughs> yeah, I think the other trouble is here, you know, government's making these kind of decisions. It's because their incentives are completely different than the regular person's decisions. You know, this is actually a place where I could see an AI being really beneficial. People have talked before about how the perfect government is a benign monarchy or a benign authoritarian, where they allow you the maximum amount of personal autonomy, but you don't have to deal with all the messiness of democracy and stuff like that. Of course, we can we can argue over you know what type of authoritarian matches with your values and what you think they should be, but I could I could actually see an AI if it's written correctly and it has the right limits being an effective governor. Well, probably better. The problem is, like you said, who's going to write it? Because imagine if they write it with you know all this moralizing in there, so you still have blue laws and stuff like that yeah. because it yep. decides, oh well, we think that's bad. Yep. You know, so it. Like anything else, it's going to boil down to the input that goes in there, you know, what the programming is and everything. So I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if I'm a glass half full or glass half empty on this whole <laughs> guy thing, other than to say that it makes me nervous the more government gets involved in it. Definitely glass half empty. Because the whole thing there is, is as, as George Washington said about government, government is force, period. So anything they do is around that construct. Yeah. All right. Article three, article three, bring me in. <laughs> All right. So this is another Microsoft article. Threat actors misuse OAuth applications to automate financially driven attacks. And this is actually from a Microsoft blog entry. Uh, so threat actors are misusing OAuth applications as an automated tool in financially motivated attacks. And OAuth, I think we've talked about OAuth before, but OAuth is an open standard that allows for access delegation uh, and is commonly used for token-based authentication and authorization. And this allows a user to grant third-party access to web resources without sharing their credentials. And it also allows applications to authenticate with each other using tokens instead of passwords. Yeah, OAuth, I've used OAuth for a couple of things and I find them to be a real pain in the butt. I don't know if I like it better than, I actually don't know if it's more, I assume, has to have to assume that it's more secure than using username and password, right? Well, that's the claim. <laughs> but Microsoft's threat intelligence said that threat actors are launching phishing campaigns or password spraying attacks to compromise user accounts that don't have MFA that could modify OAuth, OAuth applications. And you know what we're talking about here with Microsoft, where we're talking about M365 and Azure as far as this goes. So OAuth enables the enables the attackers to maintain the applications even act even after they lose that initial access to the account that they took over in the first part here. So 
they've basically been doing three basic activities with these accounts once they lever it. So crypto mining is the first one. So I can't believe it. that. Why would they do that? I don't know. You'd think there's money in it. <laughs> Probably, yeah. As long as someone else is paying for the electricity. Yeah, we'll get to that here in a second. <laughs> so they'll create a single tenant, tenant OAuth application in Microsoft Intra ID, which formerly was Azure AD. That's similar to an existing Intra ID in the tenant domain. And they'll they'll add a set of secrets to the application and then grant contributor role permissions to the application uh, to one of the active subscriptions. And then adding an additional set of credentials to those applications on the existing line of business OAuth applications. And this allows them to create a set of VMs that are going to start doing the actual crypto mining. And when they create these VMs, they're also mimicking the organizational's naming convention to kind of hide them in the group of, of VMs to avoid detection and suspicion. And since they've been doing this, targeted organizations have incurred compute fees ranging from 10000 to $1.5 million um, because of these additional VMs doing crypto mining. You know, that that's still kind of pocket change for a lot of organizations. I wonder, I mean, you have well, to be watching your cloud stuff pretty closely to spot this pop up, right? I don't think you have to watch it too closely if you're if you're properly watching your 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 VM usage activity. But I'm not sure if this if all this is in the same same time frame or not. Because I'll skip down here to the phishing section for a second here and say that the phishing stuff ran from July to November of this year. So if you rang out 1.5 million in just those couple of months, I'd say that's a fairly considerable amount of resources being used in that short period of time. That's fair. That's fair. I'm just I'm just trying to think, especially if you're a company that spends up and kills stuff pretty quickly. I guess it really depends on how you're doing the your cloud. If you're doing it in the standard way where you lift it and shipped it on-prem, you know, you have a hundred servers, then you would notice if somebody spun up another hundred servers. Yeah, well, but, I goes I guess that also goes to the point of do you know yourself yeah. in this so that you would see that as an anomaly? So if you had 10 yeah. machines that are running at 100% CPU, is that unusual for your organization or not? Maybe you want to look at that. And just because again, I'm thinking of the, if you, and then if you're one of those places that's constantly spinning up and killing machines based on the amount of, you know, volume your application is getting or whatever, then you might not see this unless they spend them up and keep them up. And then you're like, well, we actually, you're right. You probably would be more likely because you're probably paying way more attention to how many VMs you have. And if you saw it come up and come down, you'd be like, oh, this is normal. But if it comes up and stays up, then you're like, whoa, something's wrong. Right. So of course, the next thing that attack that people that they were that the attackers were leveraging is phishing. So they would send a phishing email with a malicious URL that leads to a proxy server that facilitates a genuine authentication pass through. I thought this was kind of interesting because I haven't thought about this in a while, but if you get a, a phishing URL and you click on it, a lot of people assume that that link is going to take you to a lookalike domain or you know, a fake site where they're going to steal your credentials versus passing you through a proxy that's simply going to take that traffic and suck out your credentials from there and, and allow you to authenticate to the real site anyway. So you're not going to actually, so everything is going to look totally normal to you because you're going to actually log in 
to the site. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get an error or anything like that either. So I think that's a pretty clever idea. I'm not sure how many attackers are actually leveraging that. Because what they do is they'll also they'll steal the token from the user's cookie session and later leverage that stolen token to perform a session cookie replay act activity. Yeah, that's definitely getting a lot more common because so many places have gone to MFA now, which basically just almost completely shut off other than the occasional person who just says yes whenever they get the MFA prompt. Of course, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I think we talked about that before where you should have push notifications turned off yeah. uh, as a precaution. Yeah, and you can, that. and Microsoft's rolled out the ability now to do number matching, which is helpful because it mm -hmm. pops up on the screen and says, what number do you see? And you put the number in there. So, so they've just moved on to the next thing. It's hilarious. Like we, we were like, ah, we've solved it. And then they just figure out the next thing. Right. It's an ever, ever escalating battle. Yep. So something else they were doing as part of this is opening Outlook web webmail attachments that contain specific words such as payment or invoice that they can then start interjecting BEC accounts or BEC tax in there. And in this whole phishing effort, they created the attackers have created 17,000 multi-tenant OAuth applications across different tenants. Wow. And they're leveraging the Microsoft Graph API to read emails and send high volumes of phishing emails, both internally and externally, as part of this. And I'd mentioned before that this ran from July to November. And in that time period, they sent almost a, a billion emails. They sent 927,000 phishing emails in that period, which is, is a lot. ridiculous. I wonder if any of these hit my organization. Well, certainly could be. When you're talking about a billion emails, that's uh, certainly a possibility. Yeah. They may have, I mean, may be everybody. <laughs> Maybe an not an organization in America that didn't get hit by that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Really depends on who their, their, their external targets were. And of course, the last uh, attack type that uh, these guys were doing was spam, which quite <laughs> frankly, I'm just, that's just boring. Uh... I'm not going to bother talking about that at all. What? We're not going to spend the next <laughs> half hour diving into it. Well, I, I, you go ahead. I'm going to take a nap. You can wake me when you're done. <laughs> but in the uh, blog post, Microsoft had several recommendations for things you could do in order to prevent or detect that. Um, the first one that Matt and I already mentioned is monitoring the creation of VMs in, in the Azure Resource Manager audit logs. <clears throat> the next one, of course, is enabling MFA, which may have prevented the action from taking place so they wouldn't be able to uh, brute force the accounts. They also said you should use the conditional access policies for user and sign-in risk device compliance and trusted IP addresses. So that depending on what the de what devices use to sign in and from where, it will the access will be conditional into the Azure account. They said ensure continuous access valid evaluation is enabled. And what that does is revoke access in real time when changes in user conditions are triggered. So again, a different device, different user agent, different IP could automate you could set up a trigger to automatically revoke access based on that. And of course, you should already have Microsoft Defender uh, automatic attack disruption turned on. Is that sarcasm? You know, I'm never sarcastic. This is the Microsoft recommendations, right? Yes, this is. All right, yeah. Let <laughs> me guess, that's part of E5. Actually, I'm not sure. Probably. I think it is because I don't have E5 and I don't have it, so. Okay, well, there you go. 
They should said you should regularly audit your apps and consent permissions. So uh, I tried doing that once and it didn't give me enough information to tell that any given app was appropriate or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, none of them were obviously labeled with, this is a hacker's app. Please yep. do not touch me. <laughs> you say that's that's a lot easier said than done. Yeah. That um, stuff. And, and here's, of course, their, their main recommendations. By Microsoft Defender XDR. (laughs) By Microsoft Defender XDR. Defender for OpenOffice 365. Defender for Cloud Apps Application Governance add-on. Microsoft Defender for Cloud. And, of course, Microsoft Intra ID Protection. Make sure you buy all this stuff. Each one of them a low, low $5 per person per month. Uh, I bet it's more than five bucks, but nah. Wild. So, there you go. There we go. All right, for our last one, it's actually there's some duplication. I was just reading that one. I'm like, wow, a lot of the same recommendations are going to apply to the next article. 23andMe says, actually, some genetic and health data might have been accessed in a recent breach. This pisses me off. We keep, <laughs> I can tell by your notes. <laughs> like a lot keep, of capitalization and cussing. <laughs> we keep trusting these stupid companies who do not care one bit about security with data that's potentially almost incalculable in value. And maybe the 23andMe is not not a phenomenal example of that because apparently the data they have is not all that specific, but they, at least not the data they make available to the users. They have more specific data in the back. But anyways, so in October, there was a report that the data of up to 7 million accounts was for sale on a crime form. Now they have filed their 8K and we get some details. I actually didn't go back. I meant to go back and read the 8K and I didn't. That was very foolish of me. Attackers performed a credential stuffing attack and might have gotten access to as many as 14,000 accounts or 0.1% of their total. Now, 14,000 accounts, that's bad, sure. But unfortunately, they have a feature called DNA relatives, which allows you to share your information with related people. So from those 14,000 compromised accounts, they ended up with 5.5 million people's information, including health-related information, DNA percentages, relatives, predicted relationships and ancestry reports. There were an additional 1.4 million users who were connected via family tree information, but had less data exposed. So, so what this sounds like, this is partially the user's fault bar by saying <laughs> they're allowing strangers with some kind of genetic relationship to get access to their data. Or am I misunderstanding what that means? Nope. That is exactly right. So you got, if you're related, Vinny, they're not going to do anything get in there and, and muck around with your information just because you, you have some, um, some genetic relationship. And yeah. Just because two people, five generations ago did the horizontal Lombada. Yeah. I was going to say, cause it doesn't, and, and maybe they do have something that's more specific saying you can only be so, so deviant, if you will, from the previous person. <laughs> well, the, problem deviation. Is, the problem is I'm related to Genghis Khan. So now well, I get to share so my information with is... 110 billion people or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think with like half the planet or more is related <laughs> to Genghis like Khan because he was kind of busy. I understand mm-hmm. how he had time to conquer <laughs> with as well, many concubines and kids as he had. I mean, when did he make time to conquer? I don't, well, I don't the know. The question is, what was he conquering? <laughs> Well, I mean, just think about how many people would not be alive, you know, when you take him out of the time stream. <laughs> These people would still have gotten, would still have procreated, I think. I don't know. All right. Anyways, uh, I'm annoyed that people are, that, that, that companies are still vulnerable to this. Although it's funny because not 
20 minutes ago, I was complaining about CAPTCHAs, but I'm about to recommend them anyways. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, anyways, why aren't companies doing a check of exposed password information using something like Am I Pwned? And because you've got the whole list of passwords from Am I Have I Been Pwned? You've got your database with the hashed passwords, but you know what your nonce is. Like you should be downloading and hashing and checking those on a regular basis. And if you get someone with a compromised password, as a company, you should be paying for it. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a bar, you know, companies don't want to, you know, don't want to go no. for it. No. Why aren't they detecting and blocking people trying multiple logins from the same IP address? This so apparently right there. That is, that is the first thing I thought of when I, when I read that is like, yeah. why, why, why is this a thing? You don't have to even block, just rate limit it. Just first, you know, the first try is, you know, one millisecond wait time and then start going up geometrically. Mm -hmm. Yep. Although apparently a lot of these credential stuffing networks that they used allow you to come in from hundreds of IP addresses. So you're not seeing like a million logins from one IP address. You're seeing like a hundred logins from one IP address. So I, I think you so, could even, yeah. you could even put a cap on it and say, you know, let's say you have a large family, 10, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No more than 10. Yeah. How many people, how many people per from a household should be logging in? And maybe it's different for a company, but again, you should be able to look at. So have you heard of IP quality score? No, I don't think so. Okay. So they do IP fraud intelligence. It's kind of the, like a bot management thing, like we were talking about before, mm -hmm. where if you buy a subscription from them, they give you all kinds of information about the IP address. They tell you how often fraud has been reported from that IP address in the past, whether it's a commercial like a, like a data center or it's a residential IP address. And it's meant for companies to block stupid stuff like this, mm -hmm. where every time somebody tries to log in or connect to your thing, you can go there and look and be like, oh, this is a high fraud related. Like, have mm -hmm. you ever gotten like a CAPTCHA when trying to log into a website? And you're like, that's weird. I don't normally get this. Well, that your IP address you have right now is probably reported for fraud previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can do risk scoring for logins. You know, maybe it's a new IP address. Maybe it has a history of fraud. Maybe it's a data center and then force security questions or MFAs or God forbid captchas. Uh, <laughs> or if it has a fraud score that's too high, just block it straight up. So at this right. point, if you're not prepped and blocking this, like this is just this, at this point in time, credential stuffing should be considered. You must be this high to ride the internet. Yeah. So this is just incredibly disappointing. So why does this matter? Well, what could you possibly do with genetic data? It turns out it's not very specific genetic data. So my first thought was uh, creating custom viruses or bacteria that target specific people, but it doesn't sound like they maintain that level of data. And I know that that sounds super sci-fi right now, and it is super sci-fi right now, but your genetic data is not going to change. What if somebody steals your actual DNA sequence now, and then in 20 years, somebody decides that you're part of a group of people that they want to kill. No, they already uh, claim that they're trying to limit AI from um, working with biolog biological material, yeah. right? Yeah. So you have your AI overlord decide that you're too, you're too nosy. Yep. Yeah, they might just decide to kill all people. But a more realistic one is finding kill people who are in a specific group right now with Hamas and Israel all in their big fight. What if someone, what if a Hamas terrorist bought the information on these 7 million people and looked up people that were Jewish and decided to kill them or well, an well, Israeli terrorist be a good idea decided for, to do the opposite? Well, that would not be a good idea for Hamas because there's a lot of Jewish blood <laughs> in, in the in Middle East overall. 
because not all the Jews, Jews have been there. living there. There's yeah. a lot of intermarriage and yep. procreation and everything. So I'd say probably most of the Palestinians have Jewish blood in them to some degree anyway. So and that would the other way turn around. out for well for them. Yeah, probably. We actually, Dave and I were joking in our pre-call about this, like almost like reverse blackmail, figuring out from genetic information that something is wrong with somebody and then trying to force them to pay you to tell them like, you're going to die in five years. Do you want to know how? <laughs> it's a bullet. <laughs> well, that would be, you're going to die in five minutes. What's it going to be from? <laughs> oh, I was just thinking, you know, that's going to be one of the, the clickbait ads on websites now. It's going to pop up on the side. Say, hey, know when you're going to die. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, upload, just, just prick your finger here in the little port on your computer. So, and this is, this has been pointed out that with the growth of AI, all of a sudden we're going to be having just more and more data collected about us. We already have tons of data collected about us, our, our location data on our phones. But as we expand, there's going to be more AI agents. There's going to be more companies. There's going to be even more data. And it started getting me thinking about what types of other information, if it was exposed, what the consequences might be for me. So my Spotify data, I don't want anyone knowing my number one artist this year was Debbie Gibson. Wait, Debbie's the bomb. Actually, actually, I've started listening to her again. She's really good. <laughs> like Tiffany, I don't want to listen to Tiffany again. Well, uh, she, you know, she, she, I mean, she was only big for a very short period of time. Yeah. But Debbie Gibson's surprisingly talented. Anyways. Anyways, there's location data. Like what if you like visiting adult stores? There was actually a story recently where somebody was anti-prostitute and they bought location data from one of those companies that sells it. And then they mapped the data to, I don't know how they got the location of the prostitutes. I couldn't tell you. And then they figured out all the people that went to those prostitutes. And then they threatened to expose all of them to their friends and family. Huh. Except Hunter Biden, you know, everybody already knew. <laughs> With as much money as he spent on it, you're probably right. There's no way he would have been missed by that. But yeah, if you do, you know, if you go to gay bars, adult stores, if you do anything that is in the least bit embarrassing, although maybe legal, that location data is already out there. This is the problem we already have. Sales data from stores. Ever buy anything embarrassing? Anything that ever gets shipped in a plain brown envelope? <laughs> <laughs> nope, never. Nope. No one's I'm talking about I'm surprised that like a lot of those tube sites aren't getting hit quite a bit as well, because this one's even worse in some ways. Have you ever watched something really embarrassing? Maybe even accidentally. And <laughs> somebody finds a record of that and sends that to, threatens to send that to your wife or your boyfriend or whatever. Oh, that's funny. Did you listen to this, this week's Smashing Security with Graham Cooley? No, I have not. They're talking about the compromise of the credentials to a site that that's for balloon fetishes. Oh, I'm not <laughs> so about that. Oh, hilarious. So as tech keeps increasing its hold over us, they're gonna be there's gonna be more and more and more and more data. There's gonna be personalized data of exactly what we like. So the AI assistant can negotiate with stores as we walk by, maybe see if there's sales. There's constant monitoring of ourselves. Right now. I mean, I was actually just at a at a basketball game for my daughter, and there were like five people recording the basketball game um, on their phones. Mm -hmm. Like all this data is going into cloud. It's all going to be incorporated. If we have these AI agents, they're going to be listening 100% of the time, like Siri, waiting for us to say, you know, hey, Becky, and 
bring up our agent so that it can do stuff. And all that data, if somebody breaks into your agent or the cloud that your agent is based off of, I mean, whoever doesn't say anything embarrassing over the course of a day. Mm -hmm. Imagine in the past, there we used to be concerned about hacked webcams in our bedrooms, but now it's going to be our glasses. We're going to have these, you know, artificially intelligent or uh, augmented reality glasses with cameras in them. We're going to have AI psychologists that we share all of our deepest, darkest secrets with, and all that's going to be available. And, you know, maybe you've got an AI girlfriend, but I don't think I'm going to go there. Yeah. Well, I don't trust her. <laughs> trust her. Trust her as much as you trust your real girlfriend. <laughs> well, you know, I think we talked about this before that, you know, once we get far th this far down this path, though, you're going to have to either every AI agent is going to have to come with its own defensive agent. Or every individual is going to have to have their own defensive AI to counter some of this stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, I agree. I think that we are. I think that your your McAfee or your malware bytes or whatever is going to expand and it's going to connect to APIs for all of your different services. Because all these services generate things like login prompts. Can you imagine if your personal AI could go ahead and connect to all these other services via API, monitor for strange logins and warn you? Mm -hmm. It could like kind of like a password manager, also control your logins and your API credentials to all of your stuff. Ideally, in an ideal world, this would be like Linux where you own your own API and that API lives or the AI, I'm sorry, the AI lives on a device on your belt, like your phone. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. That's too, too lucrative for the companies to own your data and so they can sell more stuff to you so that you can ask it for the movie recommendations and they could just slip in, you know, whatever, whatever Netflix is hottest show this month is. I don't think this is controllable though. That may, that may take a while, but I don't think, I don't think they're going to be able to control it. I think it is going to get out where you are going to have your own thing. I'm not sure it won't be limited to that. You know, that's not going to be the only, the only thing there, they will still have theirs. Uh, but yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to prevent you from having your own and and going around them, I don't think. Well, I mean, but I think it's going to be the same, kind of the same thing right now where people buy, you know, Spotify and then other people set up, what's what's the name of it? Plex or something where you can mm -hmm. set it up in your house. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, well, some like, people will set up their own and then other people are just going to buy the corporate version. Yeah. I mean, most people are going to use like iMessage, right? But other people are going to have their own chat tools that they use instead uh, for that same purpose. So I think it's going to be more like that where the majority of people are going to use the corporate thing, but the availability is going to be there for your own individual thing if you want it. That's fair. All right. What should you do about it? Don't give companies your data. I say that <laughs> hypocritically. <laughs> yeah. If they say, hey, swab your cheek and mail this to me, I would advise against it. As long as it's only my cheek. Nah, but bing. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> looks like we all, that's all the articles we have for today. Thank you for joining us and follow us at Serengeti Sec on Twitter and subscribe on your favorite podcast app.